I hope that you'll forbear with me today. Try not to keep this subject long. The subject that the Lord led me to preach on, I could preach series on it. And I don't know how long it would take me to preach on it. If I tried, I'm just guessing it would have to take at least three or four sermons or more. Some brothers this morning was trying to get out of me what it was, and I wouldn't tell them. But I did tell them this. I felt almost like I was preaching again on the sovereignty of God because this subject is so untouched by people today, at least in our country, that you even wonder if people believe it anymore. And people that say they do believe it, you wonder if they even know what it means. And yet, if you could say there's fundamentals of the faith, it is a fundamental of the faith from the very beginning of the Bible to the end. Say, what is it, Jim? Well, let me ask you. You ever fear what man can do to you? Are you ever afraid of losing your health? Are you ever afraid of losing your job or your business? Are you ever afraid of what friends think of you? Are you ever afraid of making the wrong choices? And if we be honest, you know, they have all these names for it. People have fears of spiders and snakes and different stuff. I think those are healthy fears. But people have all kind of fears about stuff. I don't get terrified on them, but... I remember the Lord made me dominion over them, and I take care of them if they get near me. I'll let them live if they leave me alone. But we all have different fears. But, you know, I'm here today in the name of the Lord to ask you this question. And we've already been looking at it some to ask you if you fear God. Amen. Do you fear God? And do you even know what it means when I'm saying those words? It is a subject so foreign. Go to any bookstore, Christian or anything, and try to find a book. On the fear of God. Turn on the radio, Christian radios, go to any Christian college anywhere and see if anybody's speaking on the fear of God. Or go check the seminar circuit and see if anybody's having a special seminar this weekend speaking on the fear of God and to teach you how to fear God. And they won't do it because I guarantee you, you wouldn't get many people there at all. Not at all. But do we fear God? In Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, it reads, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. And this is God speaking. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? You hear what God is complaining about there? Sons honor their fathers, servants their masters, and then he just brings it. Well, if I'm your heavenly father, where is my honor? And if I'm the master, where is my fear? Where is it at? Now, I know what somebody's thinking. Oh, Jim. But over in 1 John, it says, perfect love, cast out fear, and has no... Let me tell you something. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Amen. I'm talking about a godly fear today. And I know this. I don't have time to go explain another verse, but I do know it does not talk about this fear. Because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So don't start bringing that thing up. It's like someone saying, oh, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. You know. But one of the rules of Bible study is the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So whatever that verse means, just put it out of your mind. It does not mean what I'm talking about today, about the fear of God, the godly fear. What is the fear of God? Well, first of all, I want you to know it's a commandment, not an option. Right. Do you hear what I'm saying? A commandment. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I know somebody else might be saying, because we've had so much of this influence. Oh, yes, but Jim, this is something you're talking about the Old Testament. We live in the New Covenant days, the New Testament. 
We're not supposed to fear God. Well, I'm turning to the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. And this is Peter writing, moved by God the Holy Ghost, not his own idea. We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. Amen. Amen. And we could keep ourselves out of a lot of trouble if we had obeyed this one verse. That's right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. But I want you to notice what's in there. One of the, verse, one of the things there, four things listed, one of them is fear God. Fear God. Now, I don't know about you. You probably think I'm crazy, but I've done it with some of my children. We try to watch on TV, believe it or not, Channel 16, some other church services. I want my children to see, not just to hear. I want them to see some. And especially there's one church we watch because even some of the people that go to that church has been in this assembly. You know which one I'm talking about, don't you? What is it, the Greenville World Outreach Evangelistic, I don't know, some, some kind of thing over here near uh, the Chinese, the Dragon Den on 291. And this group is growing by leaps and bounds, trying to start other churches everywhere. They don't even, well, I'm wrong. It wasn't even on Channel 16. It was on Channel 13. They get on a regular channel. And by this time, and I mean, it's the one I'm telling you about when the music director, they call them, and get this, they call them worship directors now, gets up there and he's doing the funky chicken. I mean, he's into this thing of dance and jump around so much he's got to have a rag next there to wipe the sweat off of him. And I mean, this thing just goes on for 20, 30 minutes about the music, and then finally about 10 minutes you get the little thing of a sermon. And they're dancing and running up and down the aisles and jumping all over the place everywhere. I can imagine what they would think when they come into our service. But anyway, you think they fear God? I think if I went there to speak to them on the fear of God, they would think I was a heretic. But here it's a commandment. Fear God. And what I want to get across to you, it's not an option thing. It's not left up to you like a buffet table where you can take it or not. If you're a child of God, a professed to be a Christian, it's a commandment to be obeyed. But what does it mean to fear God? Turn over to Luke chapter 12. And if you think I'm being too harsh on this thing, this is the words of Jesus. I always like to hide behind him. Because then if they have an argument, they're going to have to argue with him. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And here he is talking to his disciples. And he says, And I say unto you, this is Jesus, And I say unto you, my friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he have killed have power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And he emphasized it, repeats himself there. Yea, fear him. Not only does he have the power to kill your body, but then after you die, he can cast you into hell. That is who you are to fear. Yeah, but Jim, I thought this is Christianity. This is the words of Jesus. This is the words of Jesus. It's a commandment. So are you obeying it? Now, secondly, according to the dictionary, and I like this, I thought, what would it say? And sure enough, believe it or not, I went to a dictionary. Of course, I didn't go to the inspired one. I went to the Webster's. Well, I mean by that, I didn't go to the Oxford one. Just poking here a little bit. 
But according to the dictionary, the fear of God, and it had it listed in there as the fear of God. I couldn't believe it. They had it in there. The fear of God is a profound reverence and awe toward God. And most people would say, oh, I, I, I agree with that. But let me break the words down. What does profound mean? It means deep. What does reverence mean? It means honor or respect. And then I love this. What does awe mean? Does that sound familiar? Stand in awe and sin not? Right. Do you know what that little word awe means? And people have changed the meaning so much, it's no surprise. It means dread. Dread. So if you put this all back together, the fear of God, according to the dictionary, is a deep-seated honor or respect and dread toward God. Right. It's not just a respect, a reverence toward God. It's also a dread of God. And what a lot of times people don't understand about this, we don't want to displease our Heavenly Father because of how He loves us, and He's our Heavenly Father. But you know what people forget about so much? He's still a holy and just God. And in all his majesty and his glory, everything is for him. And he sees all things and he's present everywhere. And what do you think he thinks when he looks at your thoughts and looks at your desires and you do anything that's not pleasing to him? And that's the trouble with people today. They want God to be either good old buddy or like some old grandfather. And I don't mean nothing bad against grandfathers, that the kind of grandfather that just give the grandchildren anything they wanted. That's not God. Right. That's not God at all. And I'm going to show you from the Bible about that. Oh, and brethren, I hope that you, I, you probably won't believe it, but I hope that you realize I've been merciful to you today. Because when I started looking at the verses, it would take forever. And yet it was what's amazing to me was how come we don't hear nothing about this? And it's so helpful in holy living. Amen. But I thought it's one of those things like the sovereignty of God. People don't want a God like that. Mm-hmm. They don't want a God like that that I should fear. Let's look at some examples of people who feared God. The first one is Abraham. And remember, you remember a title that God gave Abraham? He's called the friend of God. So let's look at the friend of God. Turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is right in the context. Abraham has been told by God to take his son, the one that's the son of the promise, the miracle boy, the one that's the seed of the woman's coming through, to go take him and to sacrifice him on a hill. Right? And Abraham's there, and he's so forth, he's there so close to it, it says in verse 10 that he's already stretched forth his hand, and he's got the knife in his hand. He's that close. And in verse 11 it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And I want you to notice verse 12. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, from me. Right. What did God say? Now I know that thou fearest God. This is the friend of the friend of God, but God says, now I know thou fearest me. So don't tell me this fear of God is some perverted thing. This is Abraham. He feared God. Turn over to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. 
Remember a new Pharaoh comes up that didn't remember about Joseph? All he knows is he looks out here and he's, <clears throat> I don't know what you would want to call him. He's Israelites, he's Hebrews. Couldn't stand it. These different kind of people there all over the place, they're going to take us over. And so he gives the command to the midwives that every time a male child is born to kill them. And look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. Do you think they sinned? I don't think so, because if you look over in verse 21, it says, And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. He blessed them. Remember what we just read a minute ago? Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. He blessed those midwives because they disobeyed Pharaoh. They disobeyed. But notice, what was it they were commended for? They feared God. What was it that moved them to disobey the Pharaoh's command? It was the fear of God. Amen. The fear of God. Turn over to the book of Job. This is the book just before Psalms. And if you want to know where Psalms is, just open your Bible right in the middle. That helps you get there quick. Now, I'm getting some, but uh, y'all doing better than the Howell Church. I'll have to use that against them. But, you know, if anybody wants to holler out amen, it is okay. In case you're wondering, I like to hear amens. Amen. And I'll add another little thing to it. I've never taught on it, but if you'll go and look in 1 Corinthians, you'll see that the giving of amens is part of worship. That's right. It's part of worship. But in the book of Job, first chapter, and it starts off in the very first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Amen. Now that's a description of him. He feared God. But not only that, when the devil comes up before God, look what it says in verse 8. Oh, wouldn't you love to have God to say this about you? God to boast and brag about you? Listen to what he says to the devil. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? You hear that? There is none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Amen. But notice one of the things. He feared God. Right. He feared God. But let me ask you, be honest. When's the last time you thought about fearing God? Or even thought about the subject? And what does it mean? What does it mean? What about Jesus? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. And you go, Jesus? Jesus wouldn't fear God. Oh, the man Christ Jesus did. Amen. He's our example, right? right? Isn't it God's will that we be conformed to His image? If nothing else, if you don't listen to nothing else, we know we're supposed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Right. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 5. And I'll start in verse 6. It says, And he saith also in another place, There are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen. Whom the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death. And don't you think that would move God enough right there to answer his prayers, don't you think? But notice what the Spirit wants us to notice. And was heard and that he feared. 
Jesus was heard in his prayers and that he feared. Feared what? I'll tell you what he feared. He feared God. Because there was nothing else he feared. Nothing else. When the devil, when the other devil saw him, what did they do? They come falling begging at his feet. There was nothing else he feared. But you know what? He feared God. And we're told here he was heard in his prayers because he feared God. Right. He feared God. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. This is still about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a prophecy about him. In case you're wondering, one song we have when it says extend forth the, is it the stem of Jesse? This is where they get it from. In Hebrews chapter 11, start with verse 1. And of course, this is talking about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now listen to this. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and notice the next verse, part of it, and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Spirit came upon him, he would have the fear of the Lord, and he would be of a quick understanding of the fear of the Lord. A quick understanding of it. But do you believe that? Amen. And then here's another one I like a whole lot. How about Cornelius? Turn over to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, start with verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. And now the Spirit's going to describe him. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. But one of the things that describes him is he feared God. He feared God. So you think I'm making it up about the fear of God? No. But you tell me, when's the last time you heard somebody on the radio or anywhere else talk about the fear of God? But what I want you to get the whole of, brethren, is when's the last time we thought about are we fearing God as we should if we're doing it at all? Maybe from what we've seen about Jesus, maybe that's why some of your prayers aren't being answered. It's because you don't fear God. While we're here, look over at the chapter just before, then chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I know there's probably still somebody saying, this just doesn't sound like New, Test- New Testament Christianity. Fearing God? Amen. A profound honor and dread of God? Amen. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's got converted. And now he's speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they sent him off. And in verse 31, this is a little comment the Spirit makes in here about what happened. Now that the Apostle Paul, the persecutor of the churches, he's converted and he's preaching boldly Jesus now. And they're having to send him to another town. In verse 31, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Listen to what it says. This is the early church. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And they were edified, and were edified, and what's the next words? Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Amen. Right. It didn't run people off. It was making more people come. Mm-hmm. 
They were not only walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were walking in the fear of the Lord. Right. How about that as a means to evangelism? I don't find that in no evangelistic books I've ever looked at. And I've looked. And i got a special thing for you women. And especially you young men. I know it's no big secret. It's in the air about all these people that are thinking about getting married and looking to get married. What's your criteria for picking a husband, for picking a wife? Right. Well, I want to show you is about a wife. How do you know which wife it is? Amen. Oh, she just makes me feel so good. Oh, she's just so beautiful. Oh, she's so sexy. Oh, she just has the cutest little smile. Oh, she just takes me away for eyes. Turn over to Proverbs 31. And I think you know where I'm going. Amen. Proverbs 31, 30. What is a virtuous woman? What's one of the characteristics of her? Proverbs 31, 30. Favor is deceitful. What does that mean? That means somebody that has some favor about them, a woman has favor. It can be deceitful. Amen. It can catch your attention, catch your heart away, but it might not be like the person you think they are. It can deceive. I'm not making it up. And beauty is vain. I'm not against beautiful women, but beauty is vain. Because guess what? It fades away. It fades away. But a woman that feareth the Lord... She shall be praised. Amen. And all you young people, that young men that are looking for wives, is that your criteria for a woman? That she fears God? Or is it that she's good looking? And I'm not got nothing against good looks, but what does the Bible say right here? The woman that fears the Lord, she'll be the one that's praised. Right. Why do you think so many marriages break up? We live in a day and time where it's just a thing about favor or beauty. And then they get married to them. They're there with them 24 hours a day, and the honeymoon's over. And they find out what kind of person this woman is like, and they're like Solomon. They're ready to say, where is a woman, good woman, in a thousand? Because they didn't care what their character was like. All they cared about was they were good looking. Or they had this favor about them. Nobody goes looking and saying, well, why did you marry her? Well, she fears the Lord. Amen. And I hear people say all this stuff, but you just watch people. What's their criteria? You think it's the fear of the Lord? No, it's after vanity. This is beauty. When's the last time I'll have, you know, I hope that you're not watching TV too much, but when's the last time you turn on TV and they had some ugly woman on TV doing the news, but she was a woman that feared the Lord? Uh-uh, the world ain't going to do that. You know, they had a big problem around here lately. I don't know if you remember, it was a good while back. Uh, I think her name was Estes. She was blonde-headed. She was the main anchor woman for Channel 7 News. And she had a big lawsuit thing against her because all of a sudden she got to a certain age and she was getting to be a little bit older and that beauty was starting to fade a little bit. And so they didn't want her to be there anymore. That's the way the world is. I'm not saying it's right, but that's the way the world is. But the Word of God says a woman that fears the Lord will be praised. Let's look at more what the Bible says about the fear of God. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now I hope, brethren especially the men in here with the Strong's Concordance and topical Bibles that you have that in your own spare time if you believe what I'm saying that you go back and look and then when you look at all the verses it's going to blow you away it's just constantly in here Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 29 Moses reminding the people 
by how they acted when they heard his voice. And this is God speaking in verse 29. And listen to what he says. Oh, that there was such a heart in them. What kind of heart? That they would fear me. Oh, that they would have, talking about the Israelites, oh, that they would have such a heart that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Right. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's for your own good. It's for your own good. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to get the answer to the question, what does the God require of thee? And I want you to notice what is the main thing, and the rest follows it. The rest follows it. And now, Israel, verse 12, for Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what doeth the Lord thy God require of thee? And here's the answer. But to fear the Lord thy God. To walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Amen. Now, where in there, now I know this is in the Old Testament, but where in there has anything changed? No change. But I want you to notice in all that stuff, what was the first thing God listed? The fear of the Lord. The fear of him. Because he knows if you fear the Lord, you'll walk in his ways. And you'll love him. And you'll serve him. Turn over to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2. You like the Psalms? We know that most of the Psalms was written by David. And he was a man after God's own heart. Right. I like how he puts it here. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do you get it? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You rejoice, but at the same time, you realize this is your heavenly Father, but He is the true and living God of the whole universe, and He's a holy God. And it's just amazing. That's why I like that song. And can it be that thou, my God, my God should die for me? Amen. I'll remind you, brethren, when people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament when they saw God, when he gave them a glimpse of his glory, they didn't say they got this warm, fuzzy feeling all over. And they saw this light. No, they fall dead on their face and think they're going to die. They think they're going to die. Turn over to Psalm 34. You realize this God, since he's all present and all knowing and all seeing, nothing is hid from his sight. He even knows why you came to church this morning. What reason? He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you've done. Do you think it might help you live a holy life if you realize that every second of your life? Yes. That every time you're about to say something, God's watching. Every time you're about to do something, He knows why I'm doing it. Psalm 34. I know this is a favorite of some people, but I want you to know some particular thing in it. Psalm 34, verse 7. You know, our brother John was talking about he loved this verse. His mother would give it to him when he'd get scared at night. It says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that, what? That fear him and delivereth them. That's who he, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about, right. is those who fear him, and he delivers them. Turn to Psalm 89. You know why people don't like to hear about the fear of God? Well, you won't get nobody saved if you start talking about that. They don't want to fear nobody. 
You start talking about the fear of God, people won't come. Well, good. Amen. Good. We don't want those kind of people. Right. Psalm 89, verse 7. When we come into the worship of God, listen to what it says here. God is greatly, not just a little bit, maybe if you just happen to think of it, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Now, brethren, there's nothing wrong when you come in here speaking to different brethren and hugging each other and talking to one another. But remember, when you come in here and we come together in a corporate worship of God, God says he is to be greatly feared and to be had in reverence. That's why I agree with Brother Jonathan. When you come in here, you talk to people and all, but you take time to sit down and to start meditating and getting yourself together because we're fixing together as a body worship the true and living God. And he is to be had in reverence. But you know what the trouble is? And I know I've been to these other churches. The Roman Catholic one is the only one that I haven't hardly been to. And thank God I was made prejudiced against them. Wasn't told why when I was little, but I know why now. They talk about worship, but they don't come together to worship God. They come together and if they got even the best ones, they say, we want to hear what the preacher has to say. Besides all the other reasons. They don't look at it that, well, I'm going to get today, me and my family, to join these other families, and we're going to go and worship God. So my singing is important. I have an opportunity to give praise with my brethren to worship God. Amen. My prayers are going to be important because we're praying to Him. I don't just say anything to Him. I've got to be careful. And God says He is greatly to be feared. That's why when you go into these other assemblies, they call them, they're just going crazy. You know why they love it? Why they love the casual worship? Because you can just do whatever you want to do, however you want to express it, however you want to do it. You know what's at the bottom of that? No man's going to tell me what to do. What do you mean fear God? That's what the bottom of it is. That's what the bottom of it all is. How do I know, brethren? Because if the Lord had to save me, I was just already that way. Believe in the lie of the devil. I'm not going to have nobody tell me what to do. I'm going to be my own God. And never realizing you're already slave to sin and who you're really worshiping is the devil. Right. Because right. you do whatever he wants you to do. Amen. God is greatly to be feared. Greatly. Not a little bit. Greatly. Turn over to Psalm 96. You like that verse? Here it is again. Psalm 96. Start with verse 4. For the Lord is great. And this Lord here is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that mean? It's the word for God, Jehovah, the I am that I am. And I'll remind you, I love this about God. What does that mean, the I am that I am? It means he is blessed and glorious in and of himself, and he doesn't need anything or anybody. Right. We need him. Amen. And everything needs him. But he doesn't need us at all. Can you imagine? I can't. It's beyond my understanding. He doesn't need us one bit. That's right. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. I don't care what the gods of the Illuminati think. I don't care what the gods of the Freemasons think. I don't care what the gods of whoever, the Hindus, whatever. Whatever they're doing, whatever kind of conspiracy they're doing, wherever they are in power. I don't care what they're doing. You're to fear God because he's the one in control. And they can't do anything 
by what he allows them to do. Amen. It's kind of like the Egyptian gods. I always get tickled at them. Whenever I want to have a good joke, I'll be honest, you might think I'm weird, but I love looking at the Egyptian gods because how the Lord did with them. The Egyptians, if you realize it, they look at those pyramids, and when it comes to math and stuff, they had some understanding about math. And you would think someone had that kind of understanding would have understanding about other things. But then when I look at their God over here with a dog's head, I can't help but laugh. A God with a dog's head. Maybe you had not been around dogs like I have, but I'm not going to worship no dog. Amen. But that's what happens when you're in blindness. Our Lord is the true and living God. He is to be a feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations, here it is, are idols. But the Lord made the heaven. He's reminding you, they're nothing but idols. He made the heavens and the earth and all that dwells therein. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord all you kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. That means attribute it to him. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Now how about that? Bring an offering and come into his courts. And here's what it is, the glory that's due unto his name, brethren, what he wants from us. It's this simple. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. That's what he wants you to do. Fear him and come before him in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. And you know why he loves holiness so much? Because that's what his beauty is. There is none holy like unto him. None. And that's what makes men so dread so when men of God have been given a glimpse of him, like Isaiah and Daniel, and like John when he saw Jesus in his glory. You can't stand before him. It says the angels that surround them take their wings and all and cover their eyes and all, even though they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Amen. But we live in a day and time we just don't hear such things like this. It sounds strange. It sounds weird. Turn over to Psalm 112. Psalm 112, verse 1. And see, brethren, I'm just picking some verses. This is all through the whole Bible. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Is that you? He delighteth greatly in his commandments, and he fears God. The two are connected. And he delighteth greatly. You know what that means? He loves to memorize verses. They'll be able to have God's word within his heart. He loves to speak about the Lord. How I know somebody loves baseball? I always liked playing it when I was little, but you come up on someone that's a baseball fanatic, I call it, and they know the names of all these players and they know their statistics and when they're playing when they're not and who's in first place and who's not. Why in the world do they know so much? Because they delighted greatly in baseball. Right. Well, what about you, brethren? Do you delight greatly in the Lord? Do you fear Him? Turn over to Psalm 130. Here the psalmist says in verse 3, he says, If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Who could stand before Him? Right. But look at the next verse. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. How about that? There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Turn to Psalm 145. Would you like God to fulfill your deepest desire? Any desires that you have, would you like God to fulfill them? Amen. Sound like the man at the genie bottle, right? Except that we know that's a fairy tale. I'm talking about real life. Would you like for God, the one who controls all things, 
to fulfill your heart's desire. Amen. Listen to what this says in verse 19. In this psalm, it says it's the psalm of David, a song of praise. Verse 19. He that's referring to God will fulfill, will fulfill the desire of them that, what? Fear him. Right. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Amen. How about that for a promise? Do you believe it? Amen. How about that for a promise? Because you know what I love about it? This is no fairy tale. A God who create everything and make everything out of nothing, who works all things after counsel of his own will, and the devil's nothing but a dog on a leash, only does what he allows him to do. What can he do? I'll tell you what he can't do, and I love it. He can't lie. He can't lie. He cannot lie. Do you believe it? Amen. Right. It's good. He's a good God. Amen. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 8. I'm sorry if I'm not exciting enough today. But brethren, this fear of God, that's the blessed man who fears God. Isaiah chapter 8. And I love this one. Remember I was talking about a minute ago about the gods of the different people in the conspiracy, Illuminati, the Great White Brotherhood, the Freemasons, or Communists, whoever it is, their gods are nothing. They're just devils or idols. They're nothing. But people have always believed this thing, that they get together and join a confederacy, you know, if they want to have an association or a denomination. You always get this idea that they've got to get together, and that'll be protection. Look what God says. Start with verse 11, Isaiah chapter 8. For the Lord spake thus to me of a strong hand and struck to me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, because this is what they were doing in Isaiah's day. Say ye not a confederacy to all of them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. They thought if they could all get together, maybe get friends with Egypt, that they would protect them. He says, don't do that. And then look what he says. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Well, I thought God doesn't want... Look, God's saying don't fear their fear. Don't be afraid. But look what he says in the next verse. Right. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Set him apart. Amen. And let him be your fear. Right. And let him be your dread. Amen. Right. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I remember seeing the movie Patton a long time ago. And they said Patton was such a rough commander. But you know what Patton said? He said, how do you get the men to do what you're doing? He says, I get them fearing me more than they do the enemy. That's right. So when I give the order, they follow. Hmm. But it's like, as Americans, we just don't understand this. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Right. And guess what? Look, if you look on down with this as a prophecy of more. And he shall be for a sanctuary. It's talking about God. But who is it? But for a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and a snare to the habits of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Who do you think that's talking about? And who is Jesus? He's the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Amen. Sanctify him. He is the Lord. He is to be your fear and he's to be your dread. Do you think he is pleased if he sees you start having evil thoughts? Hateful thoughts? No. Envious thoughts? No. Covetous thoughts? Do you think he is pleased if he starts seeing you talking to anybody just any kind of way? 
Shouldn't that bring some kind of dread in you if you knew he was there? Is that we don't have no faith? He's everywhere, brethren. There's nothing hidden from his sight. He knows every single thought. I think what it is, we think we can hide stuff from other people all around us so good. We forget you can't hide from God. I won't turn you there, but remember what David said in one psalm. He said, even if I was to go down into the depths of hell, thou would be there. Take the wings of the morning. How far could you fly? Go on and on and on and on. You could never hide from God. He sees it all. You don't fool Him one bit. But you know what He says? Sanctify Him. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Right. Let Him be the one that you're scared of displeasing. That He's the one you're thinking about all the time. And guess what? You'll be the most blessed person in the world. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 5. Now, I won't be much longer. I used to think so that if you got every single verse and you put it all here and just do every single verse that was there, maybe that would convince people. But I'm convinced now, no, if they don't even believe one verse, they're not going to believe 100 verses. That's right. So all I can do is teach it. Jeremiah chapter 5, start with verse 22. Let me start back at verse 21. I want you to notice this argument that the Lord uses here. It's a little simple thing. It's easy to remember. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. And look what he says. Fear ye not me? His complaint with the children of Israel is, why don't you fear me? And look what he gives as example. Saith the Lord, will you not tremble at my presence? And here's what he's going to give. A little simple thing called sand. Will you not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for a bound of the sea by perpetual degree, that it cannot pass it, and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail, though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But this people have a revolt and rebellious heart, they revolted and gone. But do you see what God uses? Just a simple thing. I'm the one that said, there's the sand, there's the seashore. And those great waves and that sound they make. And they come in and they go out and they come in and they go out. But that beach is still there. And I don't care what people say, that beach is still there. And I've been to beaches and when I go back, they're still there. And that great ocean, as powerful as it is, can't turn it. Can't do it. We, what do we do when we do water? We build these big giant things of concrete, whatever we call them, dams. God just uses some sand. And he says, there's the decree. Don't come past right here. Now that's a little thing, brethren. That's a little thing. And he says, you won't fear me? You won't fear me? And those people had gone revolting rebellious. They were more scared about what the Egyptians or the Syrians or whoever would do to them. And totally forgot about God. Totally forgot about it. Because they didn't want him no more. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. And don't worry, we'll just look at a few verses in Proverbs. But brethren, if you read the book of Proverbs, you know how much the fear of God is taught in here. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When you hear wisdom and instruction from God's word, when Pastor Crosby's up here preaching, do you despise it or do you want it? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And you know what I think is interesting here? Let me pick on something else. It didn't say a Ph.D. or an MBA or a B.S. I think what the initials ought to be in there is S.S., a saved sinner. That's the degree I want. And I trust that I have. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The world says different, but God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to have any kind of knowledge, you better fear God. Look over at Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, verse 10. Proverbs 19. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So if you want to have any knowledge, you want to have any wisdom, guess what you got to do? you got to fear God. You see how important this is? Because you can have all that other kind of stuff they call knowledge and follow it down the road. And I'll tell you where it leads to. It just leads to hell. It's as simple as that. See how much it comforts them on their deathbed. Go when they're dying if they're still alive and see how much it comforts them. Oh, hand me some gold and let it warm me up. (laughs) No, no, no. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 23. Show how important this is. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. And God knows us so well. Let not thine heart envy sinners. You realize we have that temptation every day when we're in the world. The envy sinners. Look at what they're doing and they're getting away with it. Oh, no, they're not. It just looks that way. And what does God say? But be thou in the fear of the Lord. All the day long. And I'll tell you, it'll help you live a more holy life. It will help you live a more holy life that you realize, every time I'm going to speak, God is listening. Every time I think a thought, God is looking. Every time any kind of emotions that I get excited about, God sees what I'm getting excited about. He sees where I go. He sees what I like. If you're a child of God, don't tell me that won't help you live holy. I didn't think that was part of Christianity. God said, let me be thy dread. Amen. Stand in dread and sin not. Amen. Jesus was heard in that he feared. I didn't make that up. But where does the fear of God come from? Well, I'm here to tell you, does it come naturally? You're not born with it. Now, I know some men have some fears and different stuff, and you'll hear some of them say they have a fear of God and they want to hold the mountains and rocks fall on them. But I'm talking about a godly fear. Right. The fear of God that we're commanded to do. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is describing all men before they're born again. And you come down to verse 18. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. you believe that? There is no fear of God before their eyes. They couldn't care less what God thinks. And look over at Psalm 36. Psalm 36, the very first verse. The transgression of the wicked saith in my heart. This is David talking about when he looks out there at the wicked and he sees some transgressing, sinning against God. He says, the transgression of the wicked saith in my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. It's real obvious. Remember Abraham when he came down into Canaan a long time ago. First thing he saw, there is no fear of God here. He could just tell by the way they lived, the way they acted. It doesn't come naturally. It comes from the grace of God. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 32. 
This is a prophecy of the new covenant coming. I want you to notice part of it. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 39 and 40. And God says, And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, I will, that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And then notice this. What's one of the things about the new covenant? But I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Amen. How about that? Amen. If you don't have the fear of God in your heart, guess what? Are you in Christ Jesus? I don't think so. It's a serious thing. Amen. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. I like this in the context. Remember the Lord is, the Holy Ghost has fallen and the New Testament church has started, but it's just Jewish believers. Then the Lord moves out a little bit more and then you have those half-breeds, the Samaritans. They've come in. And now what is fixing to happen? The Gentiles. Amen. Now think, here's the Apostle Peter and he's still trying to deal with this even though the Lord's given him a vision. He's going to those Gentile dogs' house. I mean, that's been his attitude all his life. Those pagans. And here he is being instructed to go to them. In Acts chapter 10, there they are, remember? We love reading about it when Cornelius tells Peter, he says, we're glad you're here. We're all present here to hear all things that commanded thee of God. Peter opens his mouth, and what does he start preaching? Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And then what does he say? What made him say this? Right. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Amen. That means has been accepted with him. You realize right. that? Amen. But what's the two things? Those who fear God and work of righteousness, they're showing that they have been born again. They are accepted of him. Amen. And what is so great about this is the apostle Peter saying this. That's why he says, For I, of a truth, I perceive. This was shocking to him. But God had prophesied about it. We saw it in Jeremiah that he would do this. But notice the thing. He that feareth him and worketh righteousness. He that feareth him. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. That's why I said a while ago we don't want those kind of people here. Someone knows that fear God. Guess what that's a good sign of. In fact, it's an absolute sign of. They don't fear God. They're not a child of God. They're not giving no evidence of it. Not at all. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, I know a lot of you love this when Jonathan went through Hebrews. I know I did. Hebrews chapter 12, here's the Apostle Paul dealing with these Jewish believers. And the temptation for them is, unlike Gentile believers, is to go back to this Judaism. I mean, you know, unlike the Gentiles, these Jews would say, yeah, but these traditions we've always done was given to us by God. And we know the Pharisees, from what you've told us, have twisted things and everything. But still, the temple, the ark, everything, this was ordained by God. The scriptures we have is the Bible. I mean, this is God's word. And now you're telling us things have changing. And so the Apostle Paul, through the whole book of Hebrews, is showing how Jesus and the new covenant is superior and it's come. And it's superior than everything. And all those things were types and shadows. And he brings them up here in Hebrews chapter 12 and talks about, reminds them that 
You haven't come to the mount like your forefathers in times past, where it was such a terrible sight that God came down. And it said that Moses even quaked. You know, it said even if an animal was to touch that mountain, it was to be killed right on the spot. And he says, but you're coming to Mount Zion, starting with verse 22, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly one, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, remember, when God spoke on the earth, when he was on top of that mountain, and said even an animal was to touch that mountain, it was to be put to death, he says, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he had promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven, also heaven. And he's referring here to the Reformation. I don't have time to go prove all this, but he's referring to his Jews to is that the Lord gave that period of time of 40 years for the Jewish nation to repent. And then when it got 70 AD, the time was over with. City wiped out, temple gone completely. Completely gone. And he says, and yet this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, this was the true reformation. The Lord was being merciful those Jewish believers first had their stuff there. It was a period of time where stuff was going on together. Remember, the Gentile believers didn't have to do that stuff. But if some Jewish believers still wanted to do some of that stuff to the Lord, that was okay. But it was a period of time the stuff was falling away. And the Apostle Paul was warning them, you know, the new covenant is here. It is here. And what's going to remain is the kingdom of God. The Messiah kingdom is here. But do you think it's any different than the Old Testament in this sense about fearing God? No, because look what he says. Wherefore, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved, he says, let us have grace. That's why I'm saying the fear of God is a grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Do you realize the magnitude of what he is saying here? We need grace, the grace to fear God rightly, that we may serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And he gives the idea that God is a consuming fire. What does he mean by that? God is a jealous God, and he is very particular the way he is served. Right. Us reaches out and touches the ark. He's just trying to keep it from falling off the wagon, right? What happens? Struck dead. David moved the ark the right way next time, didn't he? That's right. What about Aaron, the great high priest, his son's high priest? They offer up strange fire. And what happened? And you want to see how jealous God is? Not only did they die, but God said to Aaron, don't you dare start mourning. I will be sanctified before the people. That's the God we have to deal with. And if you think it's just in the Old Testament, what happened when a married couple decided to lie to the Holy Ghost? They fell dead right there on the spot. And the Apostle Paul brings this on up even to the Corinthians, and he says, why are many of them sick and why some of them die? Just for not doing the Lord's Supper the right way. 
Our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Serving God acceptably has reverence and godly fear. And you notice he used reverence and godly fear. In case someone wants to say, well, Jim, you're just going off on the deep end. No, there's a dread there. A dread is that he's a holy God. Very particular. You don't worship him any way you want. He is God, not we. Right. Well, how does the fear of God reveal itself in a child of God? And this won't take long. Well, first of all, it hates sin. That's easy to remember, isn't it? Amen. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. So what's the fear of the Lord? One thing of it is to hate evil. That's not hard to understand, is it? Everybody can understand that. It's to hate evil. Why? Because God hates evil. Look at Psalm 97. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Right. That's simple. It departs from evil. Look at Proverbs 16.6. 6. Proverbs 16.6. 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. That's why I say it's a help to live in holy. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When they heard God's voice on that mountain and they knew God was on top of that mountain up there, even Moses, who God would speak face to face, he says, he said he trembled and he quaked. And then God says, come up here. You can imagine what he thought and what he felt. But it was good. It was good. Because every time he got any kind of temptation apart from God, he'd have to remember that. Proverbs 3, 7. This is another one of these verses I like where the Lord just lets me know that he knows me. Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. So we always think we're so wise. We know how to do it. We don't need no one to tell us. Oh, we've got plenty of experience under our belt. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't trust in your own. And you know that's in the context of don't trust in your own heart. But see, that's what we tend to do. We think we're wise in our own eyes. But God says, don't do that. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't tell me how you can handle it this time because you're such a wise one. The thing to do is fear God and depart from it. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 5. Or just listen as I read from it. Another way the fear of God reveals itself in a child of God is in self-denial. You realize that? In Nehemiah chapter 5, starting with verse 14, Nehemiah says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, this is when they're going back rebuilding, from the 20th year even unto the 2 and 30th year of Xerxes the king, that is 12 years, I, my brethren, have not eaten the bread of the governor. But you know what? He had a right to it. He was the governor. Right. He says, But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and have taken of them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver, Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I. And why? Because of the fear of God. Amen. He had begged and fasted and prayed to the Lord because he wanted to see the temple rebuilt again and the children of Israel to go back. And he's seen that the Lord had prospered him all that way. And now here he is back to do that. He feared God, and there's no way he wanted God to think that he was doing this for money. 
even though he had a right to it. Right. And why? Because of the fear of God. The fear of God. What's some of the blessings of those that fear God? Well, God takes pleasure in them. Amen. A man that fears God, God takes pleasure in him. Just listen to me as I read them. It's for time's sake here. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. means nothing to God. He doesn't care how fast that horse is or how fast you can run. He delighteth. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. Amen. You realize that what you know that a lot of people don't know? What does the Lord take pleasure in? Those that fear him. Amen. That gives God pleasure. Right. You want to please God? Fear him. I didn't know it was that simple. Oh, yes, it is. It's that simple. We are the ones who make it complicated. And you know what we just saw a while ago? I'll just make reference to it in Acts 10, 34, and 35. Those that fear God are accepted of him. You're wondering if you're a child of God or not? Do you fear God? If you do, guess what? He loves you. You're one of his children. You're one of his children. Listen to this one in Psalm 103, verse 13. His heart is toward you. You go, what do you mean? Well, you know how your heart is if your heart is toward someone. Mm -hmm. Psalm 103, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Amen. He pitieth them. His heart is toward you. It just moves toward you if you fear him. Psalm 33. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Thy Lord's eyes go out through all the earth. But you know what it says here? His eye is especially on whoever fears him. Whoever fears him. I love this psalm, Psalm 25. Listen to this one. Psalm 25, start with verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. How about that? His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, Amen. and he will show them his covenant. Amen. Not everybody knows about the covenant. Oh, yeah, no, they don't. And especially they wonder if they're a part of it. He says he will show it to them. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3, the last book in the Old Testament. God says this in verse 16. You like to talk about the Lord or you like to talk about everything done under the sun? Malachi 3.16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Amen. You hear what he's saying? He takes special notice of it and he says, get a book over here and write it down so I'll always remember it. Now, I know this is speaking figuratively, but this is the way the Lord gives it to us. It's like if I was to say, they're talking about me over there. Get a book, Marlene, and write it down right now. Remember, they're talking about me over there. But this is God saying this. Amen. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I shall make up my jewels. Amen. There is jewels. 
There is jewels. And in that same book, chapter 4, verse 2, what does it say? But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, who is that? Jesus. Jesus Christ, shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth from grow up as calves of the stall. Amen. For those who fear God. But listen to this in Psalm 31. Say, Jim, will you ever stop? I'm coming there. But you got to hear this one. Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. But you hear what the psalmist says? Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, that fear thee. Our God is not an awful God, not at all. But the question is, do you fear him? Right. You know what my fear is? As children of God, what we've done? I can remember where this is in here, I'm pretty sure. In Isaiah 64, he's praying, and what has happened is the true children of Israel, and the way everything is going has fallen away so much, and he's praying, and he says this in verse 17, O Lord, before then, he goes, O Lord, thou art our Father, our Redeemer. But he says, O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and harden our hearts from thy fear? God will do that in judgment, even to his own children. Those who he's even put his fear into them, he can harden our hearts from his fear. And that's why it gets so easy to sin. But you know what you need to do? To repent. And ask him to give you a broken and contrite heart. Because it has to be a good sign of how your heart is hardening when you can go out here and just sin so blatantly. And it don't bother you a bit. It's this simple. Don't you have any fear of God? How can you go do that? You know how? Your heart is hardened. And sometimes God in His judgment just lets it happen and lets you go in the way you want to go. That's His judgment. But in consideration of this, I want you to Think about two passages. The first one, and I promise I'm ending now. Second Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to see how important it is. Does everybody in here that's a child of God, do you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be holy? And I mean experimentally. Be as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what you've got to have to do it? The fear of God. And in the context here back in verse chapter 6, he's talking about what agreement does God have with idols and about separating. And it has so many implications, not just marriage. You're not supposed to marry unbelievers. But you're supposed to be separate from the world. And starting chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, and this is our responsibility, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfected holiness. How? In the fear of God. Amen. You cannot perfect your holiness without the fear of God. You cannot do it. That's why I keep saying over and over, if you'll practice and believe and remember that God is right there, just act like he's always beside you because you don't have to act it. I keep saying this for lack of a better word. He is there. That's right. And every time I'm going to speak, he's listening. Every time I think, he's looking. Whatever desires I have, he knows them all. He knows them all. 
And I want to show you with this last passage how important this is, and we know this passage so well. But I feel like so many times what we've had is we look at one part of it and we forget the other part of it. You want to know how important this is, the fear of God. The book of Ecclesiastes, when the song was, when Solomon searched out everything, what does he say? The last two verses, 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And what is the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Amen. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Amen. Brethren, if we would live each day in the fear of the Lord, we would be more holy. And the more we fear him, the more blessed we'd be. Right. Because the more less sin we would sin. I hope that the Lord will bless us to put this into practice, to search our hearts, to see. If we think something's wrong, maybe he's hardened our heart from his fear. And we need to repent and ask him to forgive us. There is the forgiveness of thee, O Lord, that thou mayest be feared. Amen. Repent and ask him to make your heart tender to this. That you want to fear him. And if you want more means to help you like that, get in your Bible and start studying about God and seeing what he's like. He'll reveal himself to you. Amen. And boy, it helps your faith. It helps everything. When you know a God can come out here and just command sand to keep the ocean back, what can he not do? <laughs> when you see devils who people fear so much come up down on their knees begging at the Lord Jesus Christ, don't torment us, don't torment us. Right. <laughs> What not can he not do? Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Sanctify the Lord of hosts, and you'll be the most blessed man or woman in the earth. Amen. May the Lord bless us as we put this into practice.